up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is episode 72. Uh, this is Goats After Dark Rev 3. So I've got uh, Paul Kingsbury with me again and uh, Chief Bob, and he brought a friend. <laughs> so we discussed a whole bunch of stuff. Th- these ones are purposefully not aimed in a particular direction, though we did start out with answering the uh, some of the questions, well, it was two questions, specifically the TikTok chief stuff. We, we didn't, we, we kind of meandered a little bit with that because there's so much we don't know. Uh, I am probably going to reach out to the chief that did that and see if I can't get her to talk to me about it. Uh, if not on the podcast and just like talk to me about it so that I can talk about it with a more informed viewpoint. And then, uh, talked about a bunch of stuff kind of in between about uh it was some chief stuff it was just some navy stuff and then at the end we wrapped up with uh the q a question about the pfa failures like just based on how many times covid has postponed it how many a, a sailor asked on reddit how many people do you think are going to fail as a result of not just the delays and the not being able to access gyms because they're closed and all that kind of stuff but also they're adding in the plank thing which isn't a criteria you can fail on i believe but Still, it's just there's a lot of change and then there's a lot of inactivity on the part of all the people who will be taking the test. So we talked about that a little bit uh, at the end and wrapped up. But this is more a fly on the wall of a bunch of chiefs just sitting around having a conversation. And uh, if that's something that appeals to you, stick around. And then if you want to like introduce yourself a little bit, since no one knows who you are, uh, as much detail as you want, you don't got to use your name or details about like where you've been, and what you've done, but just give a little bit of context. You can get sure. social blood type. Yeah, yeah. No, favorite mother's, color. Stuff mother's like maiden name. Last <laughs> your pin yeah. on the back of your credit card. Sure. Do you want me to lead with that right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Hey, uh, I am a submarine radio chief. I've been in the Navy for about a decade. Uh, I put on chief right around my seven-year mark in the Navy. Um, I have. Yeah. I've done two deployments up north on fast attack submarines, Virginia class type. And I, uh, I extended on the boat for a while. So I was on my boat for about six years. And uh, I used to teach at the dive and drive um, in Groton at sub school. And now okay. I have another position at sub school. So we're, we're living. I'm moving yeah. up in the All right, cool. It's good stuff. I dig it. All right. So, if, and then Chief Bob, say hi. Hi. That's you, Bob. That's me. And then I can, and then we got Paul with us too. Say hi, What's Paul. What's going on, everybody? Save right, the best so, for last. Uh, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna bite the pin out of the grenade and just throw it into the room right now. So the the first thing, and I have some Q and A questions that I might sneak into because I don't know. Like I've been talking to people about them as I went, so I might not actually do a whole episode well, on them. But the first one that everybody wants to talk about is this TikTok thing, <laughs> and um, I like got brought to my attention i kind of sat on it for a minute after i watched it and threw up in my mouth a little bit and then uh in <laughs> like we'll get to it's not i'm not mad at her <laughs> but like i i sat i let it simmer for a minute because it was it was a weird thing and it was and as i've as i've gone down the rabbit hole it's gotten even weirder for me because as far as i can tell and i got a little more research to do I was looking into some stuff and I couldn't find an like I had a guy reach out and he sh- he gave me a list of instructions that he thinks are like 
the policy behind the social media guide, which if you've ever seen it is a guide. It says it's a social media handbook. It's there's no like from to like some echelon commander signed it, whatever. Like there's nothing on it. It's just a guidebook that is full of like things that feel a whole lot like suggestions and best practices. So uh, and he was telling me on the it was that Facebook group that asked the chief one basically that um, it that's policy. And I was like, mm, no, it's not. But OK. And like the, the he gave me a list of instructions that I still have to digest to see if any of those could be considered the policy behind the guidebook. But there's nothing in that guidebook that says uh, it's policy. So I don't know that an actual like roadmap exists for people's interaction with social media platforms as far as policy goes like i feel like it's all they would use something else like some other part of the ucmj or uh like ethics or or whatever to hold somebody accountable for their actions on social media but i don't know that there's any actual social media policy or at least that i could find so somebody's listening that has like is jumping out of your skin right now because i'm a big idiot that's fine email it to me and uh, i'll go over it but we're gonna um, the, get an LN. We need an actual. But yeah, even then though, like, because I've I talked to my LNC a little bit about something similar a while back, and it was kind of the same thing. It's like there's not. It's it's all different, like UCMJ type stuff for your behavior and like what you can do in uniform and that kind of like it's all other things that would probably be all references for, um that a social media policy like they'd all it'd be ref a through whatever you know what i mean like they'd all be the things that it's built on or they would write some dod instruction that everybody would then you know fan out and do their own service specific instruction but as far as i can tell there's not an actual policy so that's like the first problem even though i want to say isn't there a message that says you can't use tiktok isn't that a thing there was a dod message that came out yeah it was early 2020 that said thou shalt not use yeah so that was the first problem and i'm sure she's probably dealing with the accountability mechanism there if it wasn't just like a stern warning from from that the like i said from the thread that i read that was not an issue okay and and to be honest i haven't read it so i i don't know like i can't vouch one way or the other right but she had made a point of saying her chain of command was fine with her uh, making the TikTok uh, or with making videos, with doing stuff like that, with the intended purpose that yeah. she had stated of like of reaching out and being accessible, which being was relatable. what, right? Like the intent, right, is like to to be an approachable, relatable person. Um, she took which the, is great. I love the it. humility side of like. So I make a corny thing and I'm a bad rapper. Like I, I'm not a rapper. Like I, of course I did. Like it, it wasn't yeah. meant to be like, I'm going to drop the Yeah. That's not why people album. had such a, no, yeah. there's, there's definitely, that's not why people had such a, a strong reaction to it though. Yeah. No. And, and I've talked to you about yeah. it before too, right? Like God. I'm good with, like we said, the, the, her stated intent behind her platform is great and to be honest i have not seen right any of the other videos because i've got like i'm literally eating dinner while we're talking right like that's the amount of time that i have yeah no i know <laughs> but yeah uh, so I no i'm with you man it. i i but 
but I'm good with the the idea, like assuming she has other videos that are that are some sort of global yeah, thing, right? So am I. And that's that stuff is great, and I'm a hundred percent on board with it. But that video, I have no problems with somebody making a corny video about whatever. Personally, I don't. My biggest problem is like when I watch it, it's just my two problems with it. And I think I told you three, but really my two problems with it are it was so cringeworthy. It hurts. And the fact yeah. that you and I have to have this conversation, like I haven't had any of my sailors come up to me and talk to, about, to me about it or ask me about it or make comments about it. So I haven't had to explain right. to anybody that works for me type deal, but we're the four yeah. of us are sitting here talking about it right now, which means this alone like is frustrating because in my head, it's like there's a hundred better things that I should care about then some person made a video yeah and i don't think it was the most egregious thing in the world it's just annoying that like come on, i i don't either man there's, there's gotta be like better things plenty of do. chief misconduct out there where the like in the grand scheme of things this is a blip but this is more i don't even consider it like it's like i don't know it'd be like on the fringe of misconduct it's more just unprofessional it's it's the the fact that what it didn't seem clear to me that even though like she was trying to do those like accomplish those stated goals which i agree with i do i try to do that through this podcast um but it's the so the the first huge problem i had was associating the chiefs mess with that song by proxy just and that artist if you can call her that with a straight face i have a giant problem with that um because that's what immediately what junior sailors did when that that went that way it's like there it just didn't seem like there was a lot of awareness for how this particular thing was going to reflect on the chief's mess as a whole it was she was thinking about like how she was going to become more relatable which i'm all for but there's just a responsibility to have a really acute awareness of how everything you do especially on social media is going to reflect on every other chief in the entire navy and like there is going to is going to uh, affect the credibility of those chiefs in their interactions with junior sailors who are going to see that type of a, a thing. But then, yeah, the other part of it for me was the professionalism piece. I was just like, and, and I, I want to, now that I know that she's part of that group, I'm probably going to reach out and just be like, Hey, you want to talk about it? Because I feel like there's a lot more to it that is impossible for me to understand without having that conversation. But I hundred percent, you should, yeah, I, I have a really hard time arriving <laughs> like to that point in a decision tree in my mind where that thing happens. But I, I'm trying to I, and I'm glad I waited like a week and I, I'm going to punt this over to Paul because I know he's got a lot to say. But like I, I purposely waited for a little while because my initial reaction to stuff like that is is always emotional. And so I, I calmed down and you and I talked a little bit via text and it kind of made me like approach it a little more uh analytically i guess or try to you know you just get it detach myself and and approach it try to approach it from her side of it and um i'm a little less upset but i'm also like i still don't think it was the move and i but i think she would probably agree with that statement at this point but paul yeah so i the first thing i go to you know when we did our last podcast together we talked about the ambassador role yeah right this is a this is kind of the not the worst case a bad case or a good (laughs) good example of how not to do it right so again yeah um and to frame this even more as i think through it 
you know, when I first saw it, you approached me, you texted me and I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about this video. Right. So I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. I'm on Facebook. I'm on a little bit on Instagram, but Facebook and LinkedIn is where I'm mostly at. So, right. um, but then it was forwarded to me, you know, by, uh, some guys on active duty and I watched it and I'm just like, Oh, you know, big OMG. Right. Um, and it just kind of, I don't know if I was pissed off. I was embarrassed for her. That was my initial thing. Right. And yeah. then I was like, you know, just my mind started racing and it kind of put the exclamation point on things we've talked about, not only on this right. podcast, but things I've been concerned about. So on the individual level, the ambassador role. So I got it. You want to be accessible and relatable. Um, let's let's dial that in before you become accessible <laughs> and relatable to the world. Why don't you become accessible and relatable to your division or your shop? Right, that's where right. that's that's your positional authority, right? So, well, yeah. you know, I'm going to go to power bases and influence, right? And this is <laughs> this is where it's at, right? This is yeah. a great case study of how that plays out. So, you know, I even tell new chief selects, they're all like, "Hey, fleet, you know, can I get your signature?" I'm like, "Not until you've gotten every chief in your chief's mess, your direct chief's mess first, right? right? That is where it matters for you." That is the group of connection power that you're going to thrive on day to day as a chief in your command. And then you build it out from there. So once you've got the relationship with the chiefs in your command, then we'll move it out right to the base and go, okay, hey, it's good to know the guy that works at PSD or, hey, the CS over there on the galley or at the barracks, right? right? These key people (laughs) that you're going to need to, you know, you know where the the common problems are. Or, or, or frankly, let's extend it, that retired chief that works at the Fleet and Family Support Center or the retired yeah. chief who works wherever that would be a great resource to help you accomplish your day-to-day. So when you talk about accessibility and relatability, you know, I don't think that's done on TikTok. I think that's done day-to-day, face-to-face with the people you influence in your direct yeah. sphere of influence. I feel like it could be done. Like, I think that the problem with it is that one, it's way too easy, even though it looked like she put a lot of effort into that video. It looked like she had like a green screen or something, but, um, it like you guys like Grant Khan, um, Jeff Bayless, you, me that are visible in a lot of these spaces and that have a lot to say and that use these platforms to do it. It's like something like TikTok and just social media platforms in general, like, it's a really easy answer and it's where the sailors are. It's the reason I do a podcast. It's there. The way you're going to reach junior sailors is through this mechanism because they got their phones welded to their hands all the time. So like I can, I a hundred percent think that that was probably part of the thought process. It's just that there's a way to do it. And it's like, you have to be acutely aware of the fact that, because even like I have a little disclaimer in the bottom of every episode in the show notes. It says like the speaker and all the guests to like opinions do not reflect that of the Navy or the DOD or whatever. But I bet you it, like regardless of if I added it to it, it's like it's still going to reflect on the chief's mess on submariners on cooks on on well, the Navy on whoever. That's 100% so, what you preach the entire chief season, right? Right. It's like you are now the representative of the entire mess, right? Like one of the things that we brought up and it was probably a temporary bad spell, hopefully temporary. It is what it is. Right. But it was literally in a train. Yeah. We said, hey, Bob, literally you, pull out your phone. You, What's up? You sound like you're using your built in right now or something, man. Like your audio yeah. is garbage. You're way, way. I think maybe when it scrammed, low. you might, you might've lost something. I don't know what, but, uh, 
It is should not be. Getting into, I was going after this accessible, relatable, and I and we're talking on that ambassador. I think we're getting at that piece, right? That yeah. And then we were talking about uh, like the so, how it's super easy to do, but you have there's a way to do it, right? So mm-hmm. and Bob was talking about something when he about broke it. Yeah, again. he was it probably touching wasn't on that. Important. We tell him during the season, right? What you do reflects. Oh yeah, on the yeah, yeah. Mess. Oh yeah, yeah. So the the end of that story was just that, like through the season. We pulled him up after a training and said, like, literally Google the words Navy chief and some, I don't remember, something. Maybe it was just that. But, like, the yeah. first four top links were, like, Navy chief screwed this up. Navy chief screwed this yeah. up. Right? Like, all these bad things. And it's, right. you know, it ties into that whole, like, yes, it's just you or that screwed this up. Right? Like, not every Navy chief got in trouble for whatever reason. But, mm that's not how it's portrayed. And we say that to everybody, you know, every time a student gets a DUI, it's right. a Navy, Navy sailor got the DUI. It reflects not, on the mess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it reflects on everybody. So I get that that's not the intent, but that whether like you like it or not, that's reality. Yeah. So I'm going to jump in there. Right. So we, so part of my criticism, frankly, of the modern CPO mess is I think it's too inward focus. It's all about the chief's mess. Everything's about the chief brand, the rise of Chief Inc. You know, um, that is not what it was when I, I mean, I'm going to go that way and say, hey, when I got initiated. The crusty in the, old guy in the Navy Times article comments, that's not yes, what it was like. <laughs> yes. I don't consider myself crusty, but if that's it, <laughs> then the crusty guy says, you know, what needs to be said. Um, yeah. But I don't sound like Popeye, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm serious. It's like, you know, so it's not just you're representing or misrepresenting the chief's mess. That's a message mm-hmm. we give them all the time. But do you think her commanding officer as the ambassador of the command like that? Do you think, you know, Russ Smith up there in the McPon's office and the CNO, if they saw that video, that's what they want up front representing the Navy? Right. right. Do you think her, I, I don't know, her family, but you're an ambassador for your family too, right? So- mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not saying she did anything that was criminal or anything, but as a father, you know, what I mean, those people are watching, right? So you're representing right. a lot of stuff beyond the cheese mess too. So right. that's why this ambassador role is critical. And again, I keep coming back to. So well, I'm with you with accessible, right? Yes, we use Whoa, these platforms. Names, Paul. Names. Just because oh, I took sorry. my little Heidi thing yes. off doesn't mean. <laughs> so, uh, hey, I'm with you. Accessible is important, right? Again, accessible to, yeah. <laughs> but we we we're on a different mission set, right? We're trying to educate and inform. I think, right? I'm not trying to be relatable per se, right? Um, I'm trying to put out content. I bring in people, maybe to some extent, but what I'm doing is trying to reach a broader audience. Um, you know, I would even say, you know, if you're looking for someone who wants trying to be accessible and relatable and represent the entire chief brand, then that's Russ Smith. And can you imagine the Mick Pond up there doing that video on behalf of the chief's mess? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that would so, be tragic. I saw so I don't know why she felt, yeah, <laughs> it's not I don't on know his, why she his felt line. necessary to represent that because she's not just talking about I, her. It's the chief yeah, I don't, brand. I don't think she was thinking about that. I think she was thinking like, and I'd have to talk to her about it, but I think she was thinking more if, if not completely about how can I make myself more accessible? I don't think she was looking at it through the lens of how is this going to reflect? I don't see how she could have been looking at it through the lens of how is this going to reflect on the chief's mess? I don't, I don't see how that could have figured into the calculus just because of how 
I, it, how outside the lines it was to me, but I, I don't know. It's time for you and that ridiculous mustache to chime in. I'm tr- I'm thinking like, so as somebody that's not really existing in the space, like I'm sure you're active on social media to some degree, but like, of course, kind of, yeah, just like as not as somebody that's probably, you know, you're not, even though you probably should put that majestic mustache on social media, like you, it's, <laughs> It's not, you know, I mean, you're not making TikToks. You're not going to Instagram live every five minutes. You're not one of those right. like people that has like a personal brand of any kind. So like what, how did you react to it as just a chief out there doing his thing? I, I ran across it on that Facebook group, uh, mm-hmm. the ask, ask the chief group. And I, I had to do a little digging to find it because like my Liberty briefs show on every Friday in the afternoon. I don't know how to use the TikToks or the Snapchats. <laughs> Uh, and I finally, I finally found the video and I went through it and it looked like she obviously put a bunch of work into it, but she was kind of misguided. Um, yeah. and the thing that I keep right. thinking about, uh, listening to you guys talk is I asked a, a civilian that works in one of the buildings over, over where we work, mm-hmm. uh, question the other day. I was like, Hey, he's, uh, he was in the Navy for over 30 years. He retired as a CWO three or a CWO four. He was the cob of a submarine. So he was a, he was a master chief converted to a warrant officer. So I said, Hey man, uh, what was life like on submarines back before they had computers? Cause the last time he was on a submarine, <laughs> yeah. it was 1991. It was like the year I, yeah. I was born. And uh, the conversation ended up developing into how significantly different the way we communicate with junior sailors is. Right. Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of this boils down. Mm. And the accessibility factor is obviously really important. Right. But being a, I, I mean, I'm a pretty young guy. I'm 20. Yeah. Right. And I've never had to resort to using social media to make my sailors feel like they can relate to me. Right. That's not a necessary right. thing in, in the, the sphere yeah. of work. Yeah. So again, yeah. It's like when I was yeah. EMC, Kingsbury, the people I need to influence to get the work done, that was my responsibility and that I had authority to influence was my division. And I met them face to face and I was accessible. So I didn't, I don't, I never had a need to go. That would be like me back in the day going, hey, I got to walk up and down the pier, you know, rapping to Sugar Hill Gang, you know, on why being a chief is cool. <laughs> and and not just and not just the chiefs gang reference. You know. That's amazing. But that's that's the equivalent, yeah, right? I think um, too that like she she may have, because this is a, one of the questions I feel like would be the most interesting to get a response particularly from her is like, did she just do that thinking that that was only like because obviously I the way I understand it is if you put something on TikTok, it could end up going viral or Navy viral or whatever. But like, did she just put that on TikTok thinking that her followers, which may have been just a small group of Navy peers and subordinates were the only ones that were going to see that. And so she didn't, she wasn't trying to represent herself to the Navy at large. She was trying to represent herself to her peer group essentially. And just say like trying to like, Hey, I can be loose and approachable or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and then somebody shared it into the wrong group or whatever. And now it's all over Facebook and holy crap, it got out of hand. I think she had a significant following yeah, like I, before that started. Did she? I, okay. I just don't, that I, I just know. don't know that. I'm sure it's like the same reason most sailors at any rank do something that when you look yeah. at it with hindsight, you're like, that was the dumbest thing ever. But in the moment, right. right. You're like, what? this isn't that big of a deal, right? Like I'm going to put out this video. It'll be yeah, funny. Yeah. People are going to laugh at it. 
they'll see that I'm human and they can laugh. I can laugh at myself and they can laugh at me and it's all fine. And then they'll come talk to me and, and that's all good. But like, you don't step back and look at it right. from later on and you're like, Oh, so like, there's a lot of people that actually have opinions on this and this is turned into a bigger thing than I intended. And this is not necessarily yeah. what I wanted or meant. And like, I wasn't trying to do all these things, but that's what happened. Right. So I, it's yeah. the same thing every time we talk to, a, you know, any junior sailor, like any of our students that get in trouble for something. And it's like, why did you do it? And it's like, well, I wasn't thinking that it was going to be this huge thing. I just thought yeah. that it was some, I, yeah, you know, I, I just thought it would be a small thing. She thought it was going to be what it is. No. Yeah. Yeah. I can't so, like, imagine she can't, thought it was going to develop into this. But so I can't like turn so around hard, and hold yeah. that against her in, in the sense of like, well, did you think about this? And it's like, obviously not. You know, I can't yeah, think that yeah. any obviously rational not. person. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I right. can't, but I also can't like be mad. That's like, well, how do you think the Mick Pond's going to react to this? And it's like, why would the Mick Pond react to my TikToks? Yeah. It's like, who cares? You know, that's never a thing. Yeah. I, guarantee, I guarantee you the Mick Pond's <laughs> yeah. seen this already. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. There's yeah. no way he hasn't, but yeah. To I mean, her credit. The Mick Pond has never seen anything that I've done. <laughs> so maybe she's on the right track. <laughs> it's, you're not wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really interested to talk to her. I, I'm going to see if I can make that happen. But yeah, I. And I don't even know how much more there is to talk about in relation to this, but like because it seems kind of like it's almost like I need her insight first now that I've sat and thought about it for a week, if that makes sense. Like, I think Paul hit all the points that we can from the outside looking in. And then like, yeah, we've the kind of talked about, go ahead. No, I was going to say the only other thing I was going to talk about. And we mentioned on that is like, what's her motivation and underlying belief system that, that, it, that motivates her to think this is what she needs to do. Right. right. Um, I do not like, absolutely don't like this whole, I'm a genuine, you know, this yeah. bull crap you know, that's come out, the genuines and this, and that, and that was a big message. The tone that was through that yeah. is, you know, knife hand. So it's just, yeah, it's an interesting psychology going on there, frankly, not to nuke it out, but I'm gonna, um, you, <laughs> you look at it and you're like, you know, what are you thinking? What is driving you? Like your belief system about the cheese mess and being in the mess is represented in what you say and do, right? So this is the manifestation yeah. of what you're being told about being a chief, right? So then I go, you know, again, when I criticize the modern mess and the process is like, what are you telling the chiefs when they come out of this initiation process about being a new chief and what it's about? Um, mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, we've talked about this, this rise of coins, t-shirts, CPOMS branding. Mm -hmm. I don't, I get pride, but I don't see the wardroom jumping up and around doing this stuff. It's almost like we're over validating being a chief. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know if People that's it or not. This time. is just yeah. maybe, but the, that's funny because well, the fleet tells yeah. me how, how much they're overworked and they need all the administrative stuff done. And then they have time to do this. Right. So there's a dichotomy. Yeah, I don't buy that at all. Yeah. So here, the thing that I like when stuff like this, like when we talk about like the t-shirts and the pride and the whatever, I, I think about it like it based on there being a void in the leadership development and education spaces, which is what I always go back to. It's like we've been left to 
confer the values and beliefs and whatever from chief to chief over a long period of time. And I think that hasn't been done as well as it needs to be for the the mission, vision, guiding principles to be what we are actually living our lives by every day professionally. And so I think what what you end up with is these people that are almost like like the the kind of like how and why behind it got lost a little bit. And they're just doing like the the it's like they're p- playing a chief on TV. It's <laughs> like they're like faking it till they make it because they're like, well, I don't really know. So I'm just going to kind of do what everybody else in the room's doing. And so they're conforming to this weird culture of like, well, what like what are our real values? Like, what are we supposed to be doing? What is the mission of the chief's mess? What are our priorities on a daily basis? And in the absence of like a real strong guiding like mechanism within every single individual mess or even the Navy at large, because I don't feel like I get that from any other level either, is they kind of just look around the room, read the room, and they're like, okay, this is what we're doing. And a lot of those rooms are people that are more concerned with Chiefs Pride and T-shirts and fundraisers and like the the stuff that is a completely tertiary thing that we do sometimes. And it's kind of almost become the primary thing. And it's like, well, okay, why? Like why? The, it's and like I, the over-exaggerated emphasis on the chief petty officers association involvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even more so like this is something uh, Bob and I have talked about at length, but the not, not just the, your local CPOA, like your command CPOA, but Mm-hmm. the greater area CPOA. You've got these guys that are branching yeah. out to be the treasurer of the local mm-hmm. bases CPOA and acting as if that's the end all be all in their primary, primary gig. Yeah. And, and that's one of those things that, that it's like coordinating the holiday party, like good job. I'll give you the weekend off. I might even give you a NAM, but I don't think that should be a thing on your evaluation. Like, why do I care? Like it's a it's a nice to have. It's like, yeah, I, I mean, it's great that you're involved in the CPOA and you're doing these good things. And in some way, I feel like maybe if you're doing a good job and it was that impactful and it wasn't just a thing you're putting on your eval, because like I've been a CPOA president a couple of times and I didn't change the world. So I'm just like, why? Why is that such a big deal? Because on the board, especially like on the sub side of it, I don't think it's as big of a deal. But I, it, for supply, like I sat the seven board this year. And it's not it's it's a you're with surface sailors. So it's like I was the minority in the room. I mean, there was me and three other submariners. And I think there was like 16 board members. And so we're grading packages for RSs, surface LSs and surface CSs. And when you're doing that and when you look at their enlisted career path, those ones are like that stuff's a huge deal to them. And I'm just like, but why are you guys like doing something that I'm unaware of that somehow really positively affects his, affects the CPO messes of vision, mission vision and guiding, guiding principles when we're like applying them in our everyday lives on the vessel. I know I, I can't. I mean, you might be able to sell it to me, but probably not. Paul, Paul's the only one that Go would ahead, have man. like firsthand experience on it. How as like a surface guy, right? He just However, called you old Paul. That just happened. No, no. As surface guy. What? Go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> No, oh, okay. my point was was more <laughs> I thought of it was like an old joke. No, no, no. As a surface guy, so right because there's no RSs or whatever on submarines. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm with you. But now. so my point was, uh, think of like your normal submarine, right? You've got 130 to 150 sailors, mm-hmm. a chief's mess of 15 to 20. 
and your average chief season, you're going to make three to five on a good number. Right. So like yeah. running the CPOA for 15 and coordinating a season for three is different than if you were to do that on a larger command, right. A small, uh, 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 any sort of big deck that that's out there, right. Where you're talking like four to five plus times the number of people that right. you're coordinating, but involving the, that you're, so it's, I feel like in that situation, it's probably the CPOA a little doesn't bigger run the chief season in my experience. So they just, no, 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 no. They but just I, cut a separate, check. No, no, separate, but in the same yeah, thing. It's totally I mean, it's separate like thing. Okay. Being a CPOA president of 15 on a submarine that sleeps and works within a 150 oh, yeah. foot radius compared to being the CPOA president on a carrier is probably a little bit Oh yeah, bit maybe different. the CP, yeah. And maybe yeah, so part of it is, does more. I don't know. No, to your point earlier, right? The So the selection board drives behavior, right? I'm telling you, yeah. there's something that, sh that shapes behavior. So there was a time, I don't know if the precepts still say that language. I think it's out because when I was in the fleet job, I was trying to get it out. There was language that said involvement in the CPO mess. That's still right? there. It wasn't it's still there. Yeah. It wasn't like granular. It was like involvement. So it's like, what yep. what the hell does that mean? Right. Yep. So it's not leadership in the mess. It's involvement. So this is where yeah. I'm correlating that to the growth of CPO Inc. Right. Where, well, involvement is I'm the secretary and I'm the treasurer and hey I made the coin and I'm I'm doing the khaki ball and all those kind of things right yeah. um and when you do the ranking you know you've been in that when you're ranking out your cheats and stuff you know those great sheets all have CPO mess involvement and those jobs started to carry more weight um yeah. I think at the expense of things like technical expertise management skills the things that you knew to do day to day um and I think I think one of the conversations you should bring in is bring some of the bring some older retired chiefs in and compare and contrast. Yeah. You know, what was the CPOA? What was the value placed on it? What was its role and function compared to what it is today? Yeah. Cause I think I'm a transitory generation between that old generation and and what we see now. And I think I I I saw these influencing factors that are creating not just CPO Inc., but the behaviors like we're seeing on this TikTok video. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely still says that stuff uh, in the precepts and, and convening order and stuff where they're talking about like what they're looking for for fully qualified and best qualified, which like, again, I, I mean, I and it says it on the enlisted career pass, which when I was there, that was like we had the precepts and convening order, but like the ECP was that was gospel which is stupid because like the only of the of the people in that panel the only only hard and fast objective criteria for us was for cs's and, and ls's on submarines you had to be qualified leading cs and leading ls so it's it's like a, a an actual qual card in ctqs you have to be qualified and that's a fully qualified criteria so you could be number one ep sale of the year but if you're not qualified leading cs or leading ls you are not fully qualified next record and for like that was like pulling teeth where every because everything else for the surface rates was all subjective all of it it says criteria to advance from e67 and it's, there's a bunch of stuff listed but it's all subjective. And then the this, this subject matter expert that briefed the panel on what like what we were looking for for RSs, right? It was all subjective and it was all wildly varying because like RSs 
historically have a ton of of top tier performers and not a lot of quotas. And then you get to like surface CSs and it was the complete opposite. Lots of quotas and not not a, as high of a quality of records. Like I'm not bashing them, but I mean, it wasn't even close to the surf. I wish I could have given quotas to the RSs. So um, but they're, it's all subjective, though. And that's what drove me absolutely nuts was it's like, it, oh, well, they have all this CPOA involvement like or like evals that would say uh, involved in the CPOA or not. I mean, FCPOA in this case, because it was a seven board or involved in Sailor 360. Like, what does that mean? They show up and zone out like what? Like, I need to know what that means. So it's but they put that in there specifically because it's in the precepts and commuting letter. And then a lot of board members give them credit for it. And it's like, what does that what does that mean? But that's a whole other tr- truth and I, reporting rabbit hole. Uh, we use that, though, when we when you go to for like midterms or for evals, it's like, hey, listen, this sheet. And I've talked about you being there. And I say, like, this sheet, like when they basically say, like, hey, what do I have to do to make chief? And I say, yeah. well, the sheet tells you what you right. have to do to make chief. What have you done and what haven't you done? Okay, you've shown up to two FCPOA right. meetings, but have you tried to run for an office? Like, let's make that more concrete. Yeah. Say that you're the treasurer, the secretary, because that's something, yeah, like tangible that you can write on there. I'm not saying that it's, but it's right, like, but, why do I even like, care, man? Said, like, but like, yeah, Paul that's says, the though, point. That's, yeah, literally, yeah. those precepts and that ECP tells them exactly what they should go yeah. do. Yeah, it drives that behavior. Follows yeah. that. Exactly. Like, yeah. Lovian response, right? Like of yeah. course. we did it with community service, right? When they had community yeah, service God, on yeah. there, yep. bam, everyone was out there, right? Yeah. I chased after I'm my ammo VSM on my first shore duty. Yeah. I'm not going to lie about it. CO, you know, a cheese mess that wants, to, right? Because we want to see our people succeed. So we're going to try to give right. them information and resources and set them up for success. Um, so when you look at the precepts, that's why it's so important. That has to shape what the Navy wants, right? Yeah. And, I don't know how a CPOA prepares us for a high end fight for China, frankly, when you come down to it, right? It's a, that's, I mean, that's what I've been saying, man. Like, yep. so, uh, Jason Thompson said to me that he, he was writing like a, and I've said this a bunch of times lately, so I'm sorry for constantly repeating myself, but it's the example that made me start thinking the, the thought, like kind of going down this thought process of he wrote like, an I think it was a map package on a BM3 for BM2 that said, look, he doesn't have flashy collateral duties and he doesn't volunteer on weekends. But if we went to war tomorrow, this is the guy I would want with me. And I'm like, damn, like if I was on a board, I'd be like, this is the guy like this. I love everything about that thought process. And we start talking about why enlisted evaluations aren't like structured in a manner that evaluates someone's ability to like contribute to fighting a con like fighting a conflict if, if you're yeah. with me and we're conducting undersea warfare against an enemy uh, like who's who's the person that is best equipped to do that and why are we not evaluating them in that way and promoting the best capable instead because there's Absolutely. like there there can and should and and w- like would be a mechanism if we recognize this to recognize people for doing those things that like are extra but don't necessarily contribute to mission accomplishment as far as warfighters go. And there's a weird, like uh, we'd have to decide where that line is, right? Cause does a yeah. command career counselor contribute to mission accomplishment in a way like retention's important. I need to have those people there. I need their careers to progress in a way that makes them content and they're not worried about all those. Th- so it's like, 
is it i can can we reward them in a different way um do we just call the 50 bucks a month or whatever it is they get to be a career counselor because yeah. I, I was a collateral duty career counselor and you get like this extra pay every month is that enough or do we have to make it seem like oh well he's a career counselor and he's also pretty solid at his job and as an lpo so that's our number one ep sale of the year like just because like on a submarine that's the largest most important collateral duty and generally gets a lot of of juice when we're doing ranking boards and so like, is that contributing to like war fighting efficiency? Mm, I don't know. It's probably right well, on the line. Tangent. Yeah. Like you want to on a tangent. What do you want to measure? Right. That. Yeah. You want to measure, I think, yeah. right. The How the chief delivers material and operational readiness. Right. So the yeah. material readiness, obviously we own that 3M system, aviation maintenance, whatever that yeah. system is. Um, but we don't measure that as a selection board. Right. Nowhere does anyone have to deliver mm. results on you know, EDVR friggin' rates or any kind of success on maintenance material reviews, right? That would be your metric of success. And then yeah. operational readiness, right? Now, what I do know, having sat boards and sat nuke boards, I know ORSE matters to nukes, right? So if you're a bull nuke, yeah. that 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 ORSE result is yeah. your measure of operational readiness to some extent. Um so that is a more but, realistic metric, but this then so you start getting like, into this window dressing of the CPOA and stuff that I think just needs to be killed off. Yeah, go ahead, Bob. With no, I was to say with the uh, with the percentages and stuff that you're talking about, right? Like people aren't writing in there that my work center annually had ninety four percent completion or whatever the case is, right? Which is like a tangible, real thing that everybody has a number, you know, but. If it's not a hundred, why would I want to write that on there? Even if 94 right. is like a good realistic in the real Navy, that's a real number. That's probably really because good. You're not allowed to say anything even. If it's not a hundred, why negative, would I put it? Which is ridiculous. Because if yeah. I put 94%, there's 6% more that somebody else could write accurate or not. Because sitting at the board when you're, yeah. you know, you reviewed packages. Did you, were you able I to look know. at their yeah. completion? Yeah. No. Yeah, imagine if nah. you could take DERS and I don't know if they use that in the submarines, right? That's a readiness metric reporting system. Imagine if it, it reports it all in the surface fleet, right? Yeah. I could I should pull DERS and reports if they're entered, right? And yeah. if I pulled that data, it would tell me the story without you having to write it in the evals, right? So yeah. when you think about a fully mature selection board, you know, and you look forward with all the technology and the analytics we have, all that stuff would be fed in. So if you were measuring yeah. a chief on their technical competence, you wouldn't have to rely on the, the the command because again, they're trying to get their people promoted, right? Um, no, you yeah. need to make it more objective and less subjective. But I well, think the start people, would be. Go ahead. I, I was just saying, how many people like if you look at their CTQS reports for training? How many people are a hundred percent? They're just killing it on CTQS attributes, and you know, well, and then yeah, compare that to the reality. Go follow that person yeah, for six months. I was just about to say, <laughs> right? So, like, even if you had, I'm not, I have, I, yeah. we, I don't, I'm not familiar with that system. So, but that doesn't mean that it's not around. There's probably lots. Well, of so I can with. tell you, we evaluated a ton when we go down and do our inspections, and it's like every boat I go on, everybody's a hundred percent proficient, and. uh like usually where they take the hit is quals because it's harder to lie about that. But it's like, you're not. Come on, man. You got proficient five minutes ago. And then I go, we do exams and I do like LOKs throughout the inspection. And it's like, if your training program was as good as CTQS says it is, 
your level of knowledge wouldn't be evaluated at below standards. So what are we doing? Like, clearly it's not effective. It's super easy to manipulate that. But I documented that it was conducted. Yeah, you did. You documented that your training was ineffective. Congratulations. It's um, easier for a command to take the hit that their level of knowledge overall is low on a certain, like say war fighting topic than it is for them yeah. to take the, like the statistical hit that they haven't been conducting the training that they're required to do. Which is disgusting. It's like, oh, so your spreadsheet's green, but we can't effectively fight the ship. Congrat. Like, why do I care? And if I'm going, if I'm going down to evaluate somebody, why do I care about anything other than their ability to fight the ship? Which is why I really like, like crees and orses because it's like and even I, the what i do SMIs, it's like you go down and and evaluate them but like i've been in this argument during covid where I, i'm talking to people about like why are we doing this right now because when i go down and do an smi i'm looking backwards in time and saying well you did a really bad job instead of going like at the beginning of a deployment and certifying them for deployment especially for logistics i feel like that's the move because you want to have the parts and food on board before you go on deployment instead of find out finding out halfway through that you're not good at tracking endurance but like when they go even the orse is to a certain extent a qa process instead of like a a preemptive look to make sure that they're actually ready to operate a reactor plant at sea. It's like they've been re- operating it for the whole deployment. And now we're going down and seeing if they were good at it, which I understand you need a sample size of some kind to like analyze all their records and all the admin and all the whatever, but uh, and give them an opportunity to train and become proficient and qualified. But I just uh, like I'm arguing whether or not my inspection process is is mission essential. And I'm like, it's not. There's it's not I, I could go down and mul- like force multiply my ISIC and do uh, pre-deployment certifications to make sure that they're ready to operate the ship at sea so that they're not going out there in a COVID environment without the right parts. And now we got to do we got to violate their bubble and do all this other stuff to get them what they needed that they should have had before they left. And it's like, what are we doing? Why? Like and so I look at it the same way when we're evaluating these types of metrics like what do I care if your freaking stoplights are green? Like, are you good at your job or not? <laughs> like, and I feel like, like back to the eval thing, it's like, why are we not evaluating people based on their ability to fight the ship, their ability to fight hurt or compromised in some way, like their ability to overcome unexpected obstacles. Like I just, that thing that, that we would do. And cause like if we, cause Bob was talking about it on the last asset chief or his buddies always saying, you know what we need right now? It's a really good war when something ridiculous is going on. And he's like, why are we having this meeting? Cause if we had a real good war going on, this is a thing that would just fall off the plate because it doesn't actually matter. And I'm just like, why there's so much crap that we do. Cause the first time I, I was, my last submarine was a BN. It's the only one I've done. And Holy good, sweet jumping Jesus. Do we, shoot ourselves in both of our feet every five minutes like because it's we're wondering why no one gets any sleep and no one goes home and even when we're in pre-deployment training period which used to be called off crew and we don't even own the submarine and somehow i'm in the ocab at 1900 and it's just like what are we doing to ourselves and it's like there's certain things that need to happen before like if you take four months off from operating a submarine you're not going to be proficient people are going to lose quals got it so there's training and stuff, proficiency stuff that needs to happen. But like, there's so Some, much other crap that we do that it's just like, wow, are we doing white, this? White war space on white is space. illegal. Yeah, war on white space. You're not allowed to have white space in the plan of the week. It's it's illegal. Oh, nope. 
<laughs> it, it's an it's an interesting thing. I talked to my my stepdad was a Navi T. He was a Sins Tech. He was a first class on uh, Lafayette class boomers back in the eighties during the Cold War, right? Late seventies, yeah. early eighties. And when I talked to him about what the Navy was like back then, he was in in Groton, right? And there were a bunch of boomers there. There were four deployed out of Holy Lock, Scotland, and the way he talks about the off crew lifestyle is that it was a rest and oh, relaxation <laughs> period to get ready to go back out to sea and yeah. conduct a mission. And when you talk about right. conducting that mission, granted, I'm a fast boat guy. I said it earlier, but if yeah. you can conduct the mission, why are you not taking care of the sailors on the back end when you're not conducting the mission? You know what I mean? White yeah. Space. And I can, I can tell you conducting, conducting that mission is punching holes in the ocean at five knots. And towing a little buoy, but it's like it's not like it, if World War Three happened, like yes, there'd be some things we'd have to do. But even then, it's like I come on, man. Like it's I, not. I will say in defense, very of the specific sailors, example in this case, but I will in defense of the boomer sailors. If World <laughs> War Three breaks out, mm-hmm. we will be super proficient and ready to fight that war. Yeah, but we will. Not maybe root, if a submarine tries to shoot at us or a surface ship tries to depth charge us. Eh, maybe nah, not. Well, but so, like, but the routine we'll missions, though, the, the, well, they'd have to find you in the needle in a haystack yeah, at that exactly. point. But, but for right. fast boat missions, the ones that they keep getting thrown at or all the, like literally any mm-hmm. ship that's just getting surged constantly. When you hear, I, I was reading yeah. a, a whole thread about people that were doing like, it's regular to do like nine to 12 month deployments now, right? just repeatedly back to back to back. And there's a million reasons for that. Um, and maybe they're needed, maybe they're not, but like the different types of missions that they're doing over and over and over, like how proficient are they where I guarantee a boomer sailor can put warheads on foreheads in 30 minutes or less. You oh, yeah. you could, you could just delete exactly. a continent faster than you can get a pizza bank on it. <laughs> That's right. That's not a knock on cooks either. I'm just pretty going, pretty good at going to dive on a skew. Um, the <laughs> what was I going to talk? I, I was talk, thinking about like so the war on white space thing is what I was. It's like because there's there's things where back when they the off crew was actually an off crew. It's like I'm sure there were things that went horribly wrong at sea on a submarine, and so they decided that oh well, we clearly we need to do more training in the off crew because they're not proficient or whatever. But it's like there's a huge imbalance where I feel like that there could be a lot better job done by submarine squadrons and the commanding officers of those those boats in just like the balance aspect and making sure that sailors are actually taken care of. Cause it's like, I saw more, uh, I was on a special project submarine. I saw more undue and unnecessary stress and like mental health issues on a ballistic missile submarine that I saw on her majesty's ship. And I'm just like, (laughs) come on, man, this shouldn't be real. And part of it was because we, we operated a ton. So there wasn't as much of a training period, but there was a sense of purpose because of the mission. You didn't have to explain it to anybody, which on a BN you kind of do. And that even though it is just as important tech kind (laughs) of, I mean, like it is, but it's, it's a harder sell. And then, the uh, the part where we're at sea, we're operating and you cross a certain point on a map and all we're doing is operating. There's no like drills, field days, 
like made up reasons to do like training or f- to do ridiculous things with the submarine that interfere with everybody's ability to do everything that affects their sleep and quality of life and everything else. Like it's not you cross a certain point and it's all you do is operate and be scary good at it. And it's that, that's it. And that's the same are thing. Are we really boat? proficient because that thing is always at sea? Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it, you go, you go when you're heading towards going to do a thing, it's like nothing else matters. And so it's like, why don't we do that on a BN? Like, it's a pretty important mission set in the grand strategic level view of things. It brings what what we're talking about brings a a pretty interesting point up to me when when I think about it in in the realm of training submariners how to fight submarines. We have Mm -hmm. 50 plus years of operational experience in the exact same missions, right? The things that we do around the world are pretty, pretty consistent on uh what our what our ships are going out to do on a regular basis. So at the end of the day when you're certifying a submarine on what they're about to do, it's something that they should know that they should never be surprised yeah. about what they're going to be evaluated on. Right. So the the things that we evaluate warfighters on like how do you mix that up? How do you create a situation that's going to throw the 24-year A-gang senior chief pilot uh a like throw him something that he's never seen before. You're, you shouldn't be able to do that, right? It's it's weird. And Yeah, I mean, there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be times where that person that's in that chair doesn't have that experience yet. But outside of that, I mean, you, sh- you shouldn't. But I, I also feel like you probably, that person will probably be more surprised more often than they should be because instead of doing the things that they should be training on and, and spending those times getting proficiency on, we're a lot of times distracted by other stuff. And so how, cause I, have heard a lot about like what used to be palm cert and stuff for fast boats turned into something else where it's like, they're really not doing the same thorough evaluation and certification process before a fast boat goes on deployment. So it's like, or if they're whatever they are doing, it's like, it doesn't really matter how you do. You're still going to go to sea because of the demand for those things to be at sea. So it's like we're getting to this point where we're going to be in a position where we have to fight the ship. And it's like, uh, oh, I, I can't do that with PowerPoint. Like, uh oh, my Excel spreadsheet's not going to make me a more efficient warfighter. Rut row. You know, like well, I, it's good. So so well, I was just say so, Paul, like you're the the one quarter of this group that's not a submariner. But in having carrier experience and all that stuff, right, where you have kind of a, uh, maybe not a multitude, I don't know, uh, of mission sets that you can go do, right? Like most of us, like a BN has one mission set that they train for and do over and over and over. Fast boats have a couple of different ones, but it's the same like grab bag of three or four that they're probably going to go do. Um, But is it, is it the same idea with surface ships that like, do you still have the same couple or is it like, could every mission be totally different? Like, how do you, how do you, how does the rest of the Navy prepare for these things? Yeah. So the, so the mission and the application of the skill sets on the board, you know what I mean? So if I'm on an LPD, you know, I've got the ability to launch and recover LCACs, you know, um, helos and different aircraft. So you're going to do that regardless. It's just where you apply that in the operational theater. Right. So I think, I think that's, you know, it's not like you take an LPD, uh, some we have, but very rarely do you transform it completely into something. You don't take an aircraft carrier and make it go do 
WellDeck Ops, right? So you take an aircraft carrier, it's proficient in that function, it goes through a certification cycle unique to that mission, and then you take it where it needs to go. And yeah, when you're deployed, you can spin off a DDG and it could go do you know, some kind of other operations. Like drug you know, interdiction VBSS. or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're trained in that, right? The, the the people that they need to do that mission, if needed, are already trained and, and certified in that. Um, what I see more is, and again, not proven in science, you know, I, we talk about having a nuclear Navy. I think we really have a nuclear Navy now, right? So I think this is all very nuclear power in its approach, very administrative controls, heavy reliance on administrative compliance and yeah. processes that just, you know, I got it. Some of that's, and I've even written about the overuse of that nuclear power, right? It's like, okay, yeah. hey, these, back in the day when Rickover was there, you know, I got it. The risk was a bit higher, right? You know, new technology, not proven with a million billion miles of underway on nuclear power, but the technology's improved, the training's improved, you would think some of that risk management would start to back off some of the controls of additional, and and a lot of those are found in administrative processes. So I think you've seen that creep because a lot of senior nuclear trained officers are not just the commanding officers of submarines; they're four star admirals now. They're this chief yep. of naval operations. So I think that mentality, and there's a lot of great things that come out of nuclear naval nuclear power program. You know, what's name principles and stuff, but. You go back to what you know, right? So if I'm a senior commander, I go back to, well, I want to verify it with inspections, administrative requirements, reporting requirements. Um, and I think there's a piece to it. And I think the other part is this is kind of a symptom of a peacetime Navy when you have the luxury. <laughs> yeah. Right? Seriously, to your point about going yeah, to war, no, when you yeah. go to war, look at yeah. World War II sailors, right? They're frigging, you think they're worried about looking all good? It's not what you look like, it's what you do. I mean- um, we weren't worried about how look good you look in uniform. It was like, can you go out and fight the ship and win kind of thing. So I think there's a lot going there that needs to be adjusted for, hopefully we don't, hopefully we deter high-end warfare with China, but if we get into it, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be, yeah. and we're going to lose it's, stuff. It's going, Yeah, it's going to be real. And I, I'm going to say it's going to be real interesting thinking about this as a thought experiment. Obviously, I don't want it to happen and it, the, it's... Interesting is going to be the last word I would use to describe the all the terrible stuff that would happen. But it's like it's I think there's going to be like a World War Two style adaptation period where we went from all, like a surface center Navy to, hey, look, submarines work better. <laughs> and like where we're churning out all these submarines to go sink all this tonnage and then ships turn more into like Space a force. It's like, yeah, yeah, into like so, a bombarding shore targets. But it's like there's going to be a huge learning curve. Yeah, we think about the Navy. I mean, this is kind of sidebar, but you know, you know, World War II was a heavy naval battle. But I mean, to the point you just made, right? This is going to be fought in space, cyber. Mm-hmm. You know, before ships get to the fight, it's going to light up in cyber, and you can reach the homeland, right? Just like a, just like it's a, it's like a strategic weapon now, right? I can do a lot of damage with cyber mm-hmm. and space, and I can in- inflict cost to the nation without even bringing the Navy forward. So. Right. You know, it's it's kind of interest, not interesting. It does keep me up at night thinking about what that yeah, looks it's, like. It's uh, ready to retire. That's for sure. <laughs> that's a few years weird. back, 
a few years back, the commandant of the Marine Corps was at a congressional hearing and he had a quote. I, I can't cite it right now, but it was something to the effect of he was asked where where he would like to see congressional funding best spent in the military. And he said in submarines. Right. And he asked for yeah. more submarines because there's no way Marines are ever going to lay foot on land in a foreign country in a major conflict without without that type of battle ready boat to clear the way you know what yeah. i mean it's, yeah and that's so, i i good no i was just say so so with that like the you know like the space force has become the new like coast guard of what people you know, of the military right like everybody likes to pick on the <laughs> coast guard right yeah and i i honestly have zero things against the coast guard have you watched that Half steve carroll show space yeah force? oh that was fantastic yeah, no, oh, that's so it. good uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I have heard though from a few people that it's it's funnier if you're in the military. If you're not in the military, it's not as funny because you don't get some of the dumb jokes, right? Like seeing a one star is this yeah. is the the like the the dumb assistant like the aid, yeah. secretary, yeah, <laughs> the like <goof. laughs> right. Make and sense. then like, until you've seen an X, that doesn't submarine. make sense. Like that that dichotomy is not as funny to people outside the military, but more for Paul, right? Like. I got it that the space force is probably a little after your active time, but you have a different perspective on the Navy and the way things work from where like I do. So obviously the space force is an easy target as far as making fun of that stuff. Personally, I, it started as devil's advocate, but now I think I've convinced myself that I think it's actually a really good idea as much as I made fun of it initially. Like I think maybe not, the the title the all that stuff might be quite it should have just been the air force yeah but the idea but (laughs) i and i've i in my head i've made up a reason why it should be its own branch and i could be way off on it but outside of that tangent the the like you said those those wars future wars aren't going to be guys digging trenches and like storming beaches with just more guns than the other people. Like that's, it's unnecessary. It's expensive. It's deadly. Like there's, it's just, that's crazy when you could do it all from a secure building with a couple of computers and some really smart people and you can cause just as much uh, damage to another country if you're trying to actually have a war with them. Right. But so like in my head, I, I, yeah. I get that space force isn't literally just launching rockets into space, right? It also kind of covers the cyber side of things, but from your perspective and where you've been at and where you are at Paul, like is, am I, is, does the space force, like, is it just as much of a, the butt of a joke to you or does it actually make sense? Or do you have any different insight or opinion on any of that? No. So I've had the opportunity to, kind of talked to the senior enlisted leader, uh, Master Gun Scott Stalker. He's the SEL for Spacecom. And on my non-commissioned officer's hat side, I had him on talking a bit about it. But you know, like I said, so when you, we are networked Navy, we're connected. You know that, the boomer mission you talked about, right? It doesn't operate. It starts in space, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. and I don't know the, the redundancies, but I know there's a command and control system with with that capability that scares me that if it's held at risk, what that looks like, right? So where do you protect that? You got to protect that in space. And we've shown that we're heavily reliant, not just as a military, but as a nation on GPS. China has shown they can shoot stuff down. We've shown we can shoot stuff down. So what are you going to attack first? And 
you know, the things I've read about, not super in depth, I'm not reading that much, but, you know, when you look at Chinese strategy, they're like attack the nodes and the communication, right? So you break the the nodes that connect you together and that's all communication and satellites and things like that. So it absolutely is a war fighting area that we got to develop. Um, and I think it's going to, I've read some books, um, the author's name is slipping me. It's uh, oh, uh, Dave Poyer or Stephen Poyer, I think it is. He writes a series about the war with China and America. Uh, oh, yeah. Retired, I've, so, I've read like yeah. a synopsis of of the concept and stuff. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. And he's a retired, yeah. you know, safe surface warfare officer. And I mean, when I read it as having been in the Navy, I'm like, okay, I'm convinced I'm not reading some, you know, you've seen TV shows mm. and read books where like this yeah. guy has no clue what he's talking about. <laughs> this guy knows what he's talking about. Like Hunter Killer, he, for instance. Yes. And right from the beginning. Right here like a catfish. <laughs> yes. Before naval forces get in there, right? You know, it's all the satellites are taken down, the cyber, you know, they're cyber attacking yeah. the homeland. We're taking mm. theirs down. Um, and then, you know, there's, as you know, right, the nuclear space or strategic space, I wouldn't say just nuclear, there's a lot of options from EMP all the way up. So, yeah. um, how you use those things. Oh, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say it's, it is definitely a valid war fighting area. Yeah, for sure. What I'll say is there's a, a book that I've got, I've read through apparently not very much according to, it was a ebook that I downloaded. And, uh, of course, Apple likes to track the percent completion of it. Right. Yeah. To so tell you how see, crappy you are at reading books. <laughs> yeah. You feel like you've read a lot of it and then it's like, oh, well, apparently I've only led, I've only Actually, read 11%. Yeah. But it's called dark territory. Um, and it's the secret history of cyber war. Uh, this guy, Fred Kaplan is the, the author, but he starts off like way back with, um, Talking about like Reagan watched, uh, what was the name? Was it the name of the movie War Games? What was the the one where the guy thinks he's playing a video game? Probably but he accidentally... it's the one with Ferris Bueller. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's War Games. He thinks he's playing. I love a video, that movie. Yeah, thinks he's playing a video game, but almost accidentally starts World War Three. Right. So he I, apparently like Reagan was watching that movie, and then went and talked to his aides afterwards, and was like. Hey, is that like a real thing? Like, could somebody actually hack into that? And it's like, that can't be real. Right. And his aides came back and went, I actually no, hundred percent. That's actually totally possible. <laughs> and so that's when they started taking a lot of the cyber warfare seriously. And, uh, in the mm-hmm. 11%, apparently that I've made it through, um, he's, they've gone into it's like terrifying that Matthew Broderick was responsible <laughs> for closing that loophole. Right. <laughs> but hey, uh, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? Um, and that's what yeah. happens when you elect an actor for a president. Um, You're but, not wrong. But he, it was still like a valid question that fixed a lot of things, right? So, but anyways, he um, later in it, I don't remember which, it went down some anecdote of like during Desert Storm, they basically said like, Hey, we need to go attack these people. We need to go attack this. And it was like, we don't have to send people in and like cause this big thing and, and spend a bunch of money on warheads to like blow up power transformers, right? Like communications are a huge thing with any war from, I'm sure like Sun Tzu said the same thing that like communications are a huge deal. But when you go back far enough, uh, it was like, I don't have to shoot tomahawks to blow up their power and these, these comm centers. Like, 
we can just have somebody hack in and screw them up one way or another. It costs effectively no dollars compared to, uh, you know, 20 tomahawks. And the end goal was the same with no collateral damage. You didn't, you know, you didn't accidentally shoot a school full of a bunch of civilian kids. Like you just took down a power grid and, but that accomplished what you needed. And it's just, it's much less intrusive, noisy, bloody, all that. And so I, I feel like there's a lot of situations um, that it's harder to justify people doing things that you could do with robots, machines, computers. Right. When the like, okay, sure. We lost uh, a drone plane. Yes. That plane was a million dollars, but I didn't lose any people, which is huge. And you now just, you can, you can scientifically just create a better drone as opposed to, I can't scientifically create a better Marine to go do these things. You know what I mean? So it's, it seems like not yet. Sure, They're working on that in, Captain America formula. Right. <laughs> but like in paper dollars, sure. It might be more right. But in, outside of that, it just seems more effective. If you can get the same result with fewer casualties and fewer just other disruptions. Like, why wouldn't you want to do that? It seems like to me, looking at it, like in the future, right. like, of course I want, I want an entire war fought on a computer. I don't really want that at all, but like, I enjoy being able to use right. my computer the way I do, <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but like, you know, in a war though, right? Like I'd rather be like, Hey, we got to go sit down and figure this stuff out on a computer as opposed to, uh, I got to give you 80 pounds of armor and a rucksack and you got to go march 20 miles and then go shoot a bunch of guns and then hope that a helo can come in and save you if necessary. Like that's crazy to me. Yeah. You want to be disturbed by some of this stuff? Go watch that Spycraft (laughs) series on Netflix. I spent like 130 bucks on (laughs) silent pocket so that I could like put all my stuff in like Faraday bags and stuff. Now when I go to the airport, like it's sketchy. Some of the stuff they can do, like even the thing that was covering my camera on my computer, it's like these little, like, um, see if I can show you. I don't know if you can see it. There's like a little sticker thing covering my camera. I got like, reusable like labels for all my crap now actually i'm sitting here so you can like i got all the stupid card holders and like uh these things are like reusable covers for like cell phone cameras and stuff so you can like take it on use it and put it back and i'm just like i I got this this is like what's holding my ipad right now it's like this faraday bag so like when you have it in there nothing can get out so it's like uh, or in or out, right? So it's like they, because they were talking about like they're like siphoning off all your data when you walk through that stupid little like tunnel area to the baggage claim. And I'm just like, I always wondered why it was shaped that way. I was like, this is <laughs> yeah. super weird. I, I think that there's ah. a lot like the, the worst part and the best part about that. Like, I think it's intriguing. Um, I understand the privacy concerns and all these other issues, right? But like, I think the craziest part to me is, is realizing that just because you don't know it exists doesn't mean it doesn't. And just because you don't think that it's possible doesn't mean that it's not possible, right? Like we're the U S and we spend more money on defense and military than any other country combined tenfold, whatever the numbers are right now. But like, if you don't think that the government is trying to come up with some insane new way to do something that you didn't even remotely think was possible, I think you're crazy. I think I'm, 
almost get, well, yeah. I can guarantee That's some what pieces. That's for, dude. Google it. Right. Like I can guarantee some pieces, right? Yeah. But like. It's wild. I, but there's a lot of pieces that I don't know about that I, I have no idea would even remotely be possible. But even what I do know is possible that other people don't know remotely exists. Just if I take that small anecdotal example and extrapolate it across the rest of the Navy, like there's probably all kinds of wild stuff out there that the government can do that I have no idea about. So to think that we can or can't just to assume that we can do something insane that I can't even imagine. But then to think that no other country is trying that I think is naive. Like I I feel like you have to assume if you know, if you know that we can do it, you have to assume that somebody else on this planet has thought of it and spent some money towards making that happen. And in the world of cyber warfare, right? Like it takes a smart person with a $300 laptop from Best Buy and they can do the craziest stuff like that. It doesn't require somebody to develop a brand new intercontinental, intercontinental ballistic missile that like with proof of concept flights, like it just requires some smart guy with a laptop. And they can do just as much damage. Anyways. Yeah. Well, and phones even like are way more powerful than people think they are too. It's weird. I don't know how to use any of the functionality, but somebody I can only like, I'm sure like when you went through like our brain, how often as you were going up to the ranks, right? Like you started off with nuclear power, which is cool and crazy enough. Like, as a submariner, I'm pretty desensitized to it, right? Everything's nuclear power. Who cares? Hot steam, <laughs> hot rock makes steam, steam make boat go. But, <laughs> but like, as you moved up through everything, like you had to have been at some point involved in something and read into something where you were like, oh, wow, like that's real. Like we can do that. I mean, I'm not obviously asking for details, but like there's got to be stuff that, no, I mean, that. You weren't expecting. Probably not till I got to the fleet. Yeah. Probably not to the fleet mass chief level. Um, I would see some stuff, but still, even at that level, you know, of compartmentalized information and talk, there's a level like uh, several levels above that, right? So I just always come back to like, to your point about there's smart people in this country that are doing smart things that- we don't know about, and frankly, I don't even want to know about, you know, yeah. I don't have a need to know. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. But, um, at our level, when it comes down to all that stuff, just have confidence that is probably happening. It's always happened. Go back to world war two, go back to, I don't know, go back to Persian Gulf war, just the things we do now, right? There's people that think through these problems and, you know, the China scenario or the Korea scenario, there's smart minds on that, that are figuring that out. Right. Right. Um, and it's cool to talk about that, but at the end of the day, back to the deck plate chief, right? Your job is to make sure that ship is materially ready. That boat is materially ready to deliver when we need it to, right? And we may not need it to. Um, and by the way, one, oh, by the way, I I thought it was submariner, not submariner. Cause I was always told, I was thinking it when he said it. Yeah, I was always it's counseled both. that should have come guys, out the top row, but he didn't. Yes, you're above average mariners. I so Whoa. I've heard I've heard both, and my favorite is that I will use them interchangeably and yeah, say interchangeably because somebody's gonna yeah. get upset. It doesn't matter how you say it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're gonna met half the fleet says one, half the fleet says the yeah. other. And so as soon yeah. as I find somebody it's annoyed by the way I say it, 
<laughs> so I will it's forever just like, say Submariner now. Just, just forget. It's like Airedales. Yeah. Airedales calling carriers boats. You know, it's like no, their boats and ships are different, and there's reasons why we call them different. But we'll call it a boat boats for you guys and targets. <laughs> um, <laughs> so. I'm going to sh- shift gear slightly. And then just so you guys know, my wife's on her way home and she had a really bad day. So I'm going to have to like quickly log off whenever she gets home. I'm waiting on a text. Yeah. And I got uh, to, I'm getting ready. Morning. I'm getting pressure to wrap up too. Cause the boys want to come up and play. Xbox yeah. yeah. And so this, this one should be relatively quick, but it was one of the Q and a questions I got on Reddit. It was how many people do you think are going to fail the PRT whenever it comes back? Ooh, <laughs> how bad do you uh, think that's going to be? So, Paul, if you're not tracking, they've been kicking the can down the road on PFAs, like just delaying, delaying, delaying. We haven't done one in a year and a half. A year and a half. And they've kicked it the can down the road to July now, I think. Or June. Yeah, I heard. I've been tracking that. I know that they kind of pushed it to the side. I know that uh, basically all the services did. I know Marine Corps just yeah, recently brought yeah. it back. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in the Navy, you know, especially. Yeah. When you don't have the incentive of the three mile club, probably a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be rough, but go ahead. Paul. My thoughts on it are the uh, uh, back to the CTQS example, right? Like, yeah. are you talking about actual failures? Or are you talking about documented failures? Or like wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. I, I don't feel like. I, well, and I. Th- I think they might because by virtue of the it being the first plank cycle too, they might come up with some weird like waiver thing at the last minute well, when they realize they already, everything's going horribly wrong. They already stated that like it won't count if you fail it. It won't count as like a failure towards like the getting kicked out failure numbers that you can have. I thought it or did they? I thought it was just if you failed planks because planks are new. Like they gave it, they're giving okay. you like a, a freebie. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's it is just, just planks. planks. Okay, yeah, yeah I feel so like, but I feel like so. What Bob's saying, it that they would come out with something saying like, "We're gonna do a PRT, but if you fail, it doesn't actually matter because we haven't done one in so long, like right in, before or something like that." In my in my humble opinion, planks are pretty ungovernable, right? So you have to put your elbows on the deck and you have to have your fists out in front of you, and they can't be touching mm-hmm. each other, so you can't make that tight V. Um, so we've oh, all done. We've, we've all done PRTs before, so you know what it looks like when somebody's not doing a proper push-up, so on and so forth. But with yeah. a plank, like you're required to keep your back straight the entire time. The reason I say it's ungovernable is because yeah. we all know what large-scale PRTs look like. There's not going to be there's right. there's going to be a significant portion of the Navy that's not going to be able to accomplish the the base portion of that. Also, yeah. on the topic of PRTs. While I think that physical fitness is incredibly important to, you know, your mental health and your physical readiness and the fleet and so on and so forth. But how many people have we seen uh, in our time in the Navy get kicked out just because of physical fitness, but they were fantastic technicians. They were, you know, great at their jobs, but because we use an antiquated way to measure body composition, like what are we doing? I think me and Bob, I think we're talking about it like um, how and they, I think Mick Pond Stevens, I think it was him, talked about it for a little while. It was like a Navy time story. And then it just kind of faded away as he retired. It was where he was talking about doing a, effectively like a combat fitness test, but like basically creating a PRT for each warfare community. So like for submarines, you need to be able to run around the submarine with a, a FFE and SCBA on and be able to fit through all the hatches and climb up and down all the ladders effectively. And, and you know what I mean? Like, and fit 
with all that gear on and not like fall out or be sucking so much air that your SCBA runs out in 90 seconds. So it's like the, that would be an effective metric where it's like, if, if you can eat your feelings and still traverse the entire submarine in an FFE and SCBA and go up on down all the ladders and fit through all the holes and not run out of air, then got it. You're fit to fuck You're fit to submarine. But it's like that it would make a lot more sense if our test was structured in that way, because why do I need to be able to run a mile and a half in 13 and a half minutes or whatever it is? It's like, I can't run a mile and a half on a submarine nose to nose ever so it's like what are we doing i'm never gonna have to do that i'm i might have to physically exert myself in a different kind of a way and with my breathing restricted sucking rubber you know like doing what we do on submarines like that it should be structured in a way where maybe i'm doing eab races or maybe that's one of the like maybe we're doing something like that where the most i'm ever in the in the conduct of my duty the most i'm ever gonna have to physically exert myself is when I'm sucking rubber, combating a casualty in whatever way you want to mold that test or during a food load. <laughs> like if I'm being it's, honest, like I sweat just, the most when I'm I'm humping food during a food load. It's so hard to look at it from both perspectives because a culture of fitness is an incredibly important thing throughout the military, right? Like right. I you agree. Look at, you look at the barb. They put they put boots on ground in a foreign country, right? During they World sure War Two, And <laughs> and those dudes, I the they were ones. probably they were probably verily much so ready to fight human beings when they oh, got yeah. there. So it, I, I always tell my yeah, junior sailors, I, like you, you get your fitness on lock and you'll be ready to do everything that you need to do. And you know, everything. Yeah. Team. And, and I think the culture of fitness thing is really important, but I think it would need to be wired in a way where one, you got to prioritize time. Like, cause you can say it's important, but if you don't spend the currency of time in our plan of the week, plan of the day, allowing me to do that as part of the work day, and you're just telling me this is a thing I should do in the free time that I don't have, it's not going to happen. We're going to end up being the fattest branch of the military on some f- like Duffel blog article or whatever. It's like you're not going to have the the benefits that you want just by saying it you have to act and and devote some kind of resources to it and the most the most meaningful resource to to sailors is time it's like liberty so if you're going to say that i don't got to actually be on the deck plate ready to work until zero nine and i can pt in the morning like marines do i'm in and most people i think you'll see a drastic uptick in people taking advantage of that time and and doing that and it's I don't think it's ever going to happen either. <laughs> like So I'm just like, because no, no, an XO somewhere is going to yeah. have to cut some training out of his white space time. Right, like, exactly. And so it's, instead, it's, they're like, they, the argument is you can go work out before work. You just have to go to the you get, have up to get to the gym in the morning. Yeah. You got to get to the gym at three thirty <laughs> and yeah. you can get a solid hour. Then you can shower and you can yeah. change and you can put on your uniform and you can show up. Yep. And blah, blah, blah. It's. But yep. because we have 12 yep, yep. sessions of training today. I applied for a, a pretty sweet gig for Radio <laughs> Men where I was going to go jump out of planes with a radio and a gun. And I got accepted to that uh, that command. But yeah, so I had during, a buddy do that. Yeah. So during that entire time frame where I was, I flew down there and I, I did the whole deal on the boat, mm-hmm. though, I was I was yeah. in a sweet spot where I was able to leave for lunch at like 10 o'clock. Yeah go work out for 45 minutes at the base gym, come back, get my shower in, eat lunch, and then get back to work. I feel like it, honestly, this all boils back down to the chief and that if the chief's able to manage the division's time and use that currency that you're talking about well, that it can really be 
part of our lifestyle here. It, yeah, it can. I don't know how much control, like, cause I, I definitely did that a lot when, when I was on my last boat and even on the one before that as a chief, it was like, I, I got it in where I can, I could, like if we were in port and we weren't loading food and we weren't doing anything crazy except kind of operating and supporting what the boat had going on, getting ready to deploy again, it was like, I'd look at a guy each day of the week and be like, Hey, you have dental today. Wink, wink. Like you need to leave by noon to go to your right. dental appointment that you don't have. <laughs> so it's like, cause I, I wouldn't have been able to sell a lot of people like that XO you're talking about on those guys having that type of a schedule. Like, Hey, I'm going to rotate guys out where I only have like, and sometimes I do it with two people if we didn't have anything going on except lunch, you know, and clean up. And then the duty guys got dinner. And I've got meetings and stuff, but the rest of the division is just there because they're supposed to be. It's like, yeah, I'd have, hey, you got dental and you are going to go help somebody with something at the, I don't know, you're going to go, I, like I'd make up an appointment, you're going to go pick up an open purchase or whatever. It would like just make some stuff up. And that's where they are if the cob asks. <laughs> so like he would ask me or he would ask them, they're at dental or they're at this. Um, but then I had a cob that, and it was pretty much only during the shipyard period i want to say not to say that he wouldn't have done it otherwise but by 1300 the day after duty you were off the submarine pt and it's like he he understood that most people weren't going to the gym like he but it was if you had duty the prior day like your chief had to clear it with the cob if that sailor was going to be on the submarine past 1300 and it was amazing and like the crew responded to and like shipyard couldn't bring down new work after 1500 or he just shut it. The duty chief and duty officer would just say no. Like, so the duty section wasn't up until God awful hours trying to do some kind of thing to prep for their stupid work that they didn't plan for. But like half of what you just said though, is working was like the wink, wink, nod, nod to get around. Yeah. Right. Where like right. the idea is you're like, the idea is you should be able to go to your, I shouldn't have to wink, wink, say, nod, nod. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, and you. say, Hey, right. Uh, this culture of fitness thing that the Navy has put out is a real thing. Yeah. And we all agreed to follow the Navy's rules. So like I have a sailor who wants to go work out for an hour and they're like, Nope. Is yeah. he a hundred percent on his CTQS training yeah, this week? Yeah. What about all of his 12 collaterals? Right. Nope, right. Everything that, else is can't more support. Yeah. And then yeah. well, the chief mess, I mean, half the time FEP is even. Yeah. yeah. The chief mess shows each year that they can invest in physical fitness. So we're all in during initiation season with new chief selects, right? We're out there. Got the Chief mess. Got him, coach. <laughs> and then it doesn't. And where does that translate yeah. to the day to day? Right. So yeah. again, it's another say do gap, right? You'll huddle all these chiefs and friggin' get all new chief selects and say it's all matters but then day to day, you don't translate into your division. So I think it's, I think right. you, as a chief petty officer, you have the space to do it. You don't need to wait for the war gym to tell you to do it. Make it a priority like you do during initiation season and make it happen. Yeah. And it, the harder part is when you're operating at sea, you know, like it's with the eight hour watches, even you, like you have more time, but it's like you don't. Like it's weird. It's like you, you stand more watch now, but that and your off goings longer, but that's just more time for me to cram stuff in the plan of the week. And so that's what you see inevitably happen is these guys like during their what's supposed to be their sleeping period, they'll they'll get more than four hours of sleep, which they got on six hour hour watches if they were lucky. But it's 
Yeah. It's like At they that point, still are getting punched in the face longer during their offgoing as well. Yeah. Ideally, you want to help develop the self-discipline in the sailor that they do this on their own. Because you're right, right? right? There's the reality. We're not always parasite where we can get together in a big huddle and run around the base. And that doesn't right. work for everyone anyhow. Or you have access to a base gym. But if I'm on a boomer, from what I've heard, there's some things you can do there. there. There's a lot. There's a lot. You know I mean? We had a Smith machine, dude. I used to deadlift and squat. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But you have to have Lucky. the discipline to spend your sleep time doing those things, because okay. what happens is my entire off is choked out by collateral duties and cleanup and drills, drills. and training and meetings yep. and whatever else. And so, like, I get to where I'm oncoming and that's when I, I would go back and work out during the oncoming meal because that was the only time I could. And half the time I didn't even do that. Like, I get out of shape every time I'm operational on a submarine because I prioritize sleep over fitness. Like most yeah, that's, the, that's the point, right? It's like, and that's where the cobs, the CMCs, all the senior enlisted need to engage yeah. the senior officers and go, okay, where's the trade off, right? So, what administrative thing that we talked about that's full of bullshit, frankly, should we trade off to clear us 30, 45 minutes that we can invest in physical fitness, which it's not just about, you know, being able to do my job and warfighting readiness, but it's long term health, right. it's friggin' sleep fitness, yeah, it's mental all that health. Stuff. Yeah, resilience. Like, yeah, it's. I think a lot of that is just it's just the the mixed bag of priorities depending on who you talk to and mm-hmm. who who is in charge at the whatever the case is right so like one person their priority is getting all their excel check boxes green and somebody else's yeah. is I want everybody to be fit and then somebody else's I want CTQS to be great and whatever and so like that's I don't know that's why I, to continue that joke that we just need a good war. And I think and then a lot the of it's driven, is war fighting. A lot. Yeah. A lot, it'll change. Yeah. A lot of it's driven too by even when, even if you had a really like the world's best triad on a unit level that wanted to prioritize all those things. If anything falls behind, the first thing that they're going to take a shot at is your culture of fitness. That is so important. That's taking away from your ability to train and like do stupid meetings and, like critiques or pre-watch briefs or whatever the hell we're talking about. It's like whatever onerous mechanism you removed is going to be the first thing that they're going to be. Oh, well you, you're not doing what everybody else is doing and you're prioritizing this culture of fitness crap. And that's why you're not prepared to like ace this certification in in a trainer or whatever. And it's, that's, what's tough is that at a, at a pre-deployment certification where you're up with talking to the Commodore and this squadron CMC, it's like that's the first time, like the first thing, the easy target is going to be whatever you're doing, doing differently than other units. And it's like, so you kind of like have to be perfect or like better than everyone else because you're doing things differently. Otherwise, you're going to get punched in the face and return to the status quo, even if you have the world's best triad. And that's the depressing part is like, like Paul was saying earlier with the, how the, the precepts drive behavior. It's like, so does upper echelons priorities. Like if, if the Commodore or the Admiral are releasing these, these priorities and none of them talk about those things, those things aren't going to be prioritized. If the Admiral releases priorities that say physical fitness, mental health, and all this other stuff are the priority, it's going to be an important thing. Like the, it's known in my AOR that if the admiral rides your submarine, he's going to do a sanitation inspection of the galley, and that's like one of my favorite things about that man is how supportive he is of of, of food service. And it's yeah. just like that. It's a statement. If he's going to devote a two star is going to devote his time to walking through the galley with a flashlight, 
like yes like thank you sir it's like i even if it's just for show and he has no idea what he's looking at which he does because when he was a commodore he got burned by some units not doing a good job at that but it's, he also has a kitchen at home. He does. Leadership but that doesn't make yeah. you an expert. I'll play that silly. Leadership presence shit. matters, right? <laughs> Where you go, when you go, for what yeah, matters, because it sure. signals what's important. Um, yeah. And frankly, on the U.S. on the Naval Institute side, there's an article in the front of the deck plates where a first class writes about this kind of stuff, right? Assessing lethality, and he talks about PT, and there's challenges to that. Um, but hey, here's what I do know. I got to head out here soon, but you yeah, guys have teed yeah. up several so great articles. You need to frame these out and submit them to <laughs> Proceedings Magazine. We all owe you an article. I know. Yes. It's on my to-do list. I'm going to do it. I just haven't yet. Discipline. <laughs> I'm here to help you shape that uh, I know. Just start incessantly texting me. Permission granted to just bug the ever-loving crap right. out of me. I'll do it. I just... There's I an essay contest I wa- coming I, up, right? I, I, yeah, I know. I simultaneously want to be like, hey, Paul, when are we updating the Chief Petty Officer's Guide? Because I want to be in on that. But then I can't even write you an article. So Yes. You do, yes. That's, <laughs> is it that's, boo, boo that's a requirement me. to entry. So there is an essay <laughs> yeah, contest. A, a prerequisite. Yeah. yeah. That's the 100 series for book Ooh, yeah. writing. So uh, yeah, there's it. an essay now contest. Motiv- right? Now I'm motivated. Let's do it. $3,000 to win the essay, uh, Enlisted Prize Essay Contest. There that's you go. not bad bad bank ready go um, so that that could be a, you got a lot of great stuff you're talking about here that is this isn't yeah. all bs this is valid stuff so i'd like to see that conversation elevated awesome i'm in what are you gonna write about bob uh how little time you have to write <laughs> <laughs> it's it's gonna be you're you're gonna get a uh uh what's the the japanese poem Five seven five. Oh, a haiku. There haiku. you go. You're gonna yes. get a haiku. Yeah. <laughs> That's about all I got time for. In, yeah, <laughs> writing in pencil, writing in crayon with the wrong hand because that's what was accessible. I yep. dig it. All right. Well, thanks, boys. I appreciate your time. Uh, no, this has been good. Benji, it. we'll do one where you actually open your mouth more than three times. We'll, oh, we'll of bring course, you on I'm again. here for you. We can do. We'll drag you on for the next Ask the Chief so that there's a little more bandwidth. Definitely. Of course. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, those friends catching up, and then we actually got to tackle some of those things. Um, again, I think the TikTok chief thing, as we talked about it, I kind of discovered that I, f- I need more information to fully form any kind of opinion or, or thought on it or whatever. Uh, and I think a lot of that is not having the perspective of the person that did it. Uh, so that's something that uh, I, I plan on reaching out soon. Um, I keep saying I've got it written down. I keep saying I'm going to do it and I've got a lot going on right now, but uh, I intend to do that. And then, uh, yeah, the rest of it, I hope you enjoyed uh, the rest of the Q&A questions I will get to. Uh, as always, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't go up the podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't go up the podcast or you can DM me on Instagram or Reddit at DGS podcast. Uh, engage on Reddit. I'm active on our Navy. Uh, also post, I post the episode all over the place. And then, uh, in our own little sub D podcast, you can come in there and talk a little bit as well. And then, uh, yeah, if you want to support us, there's some exciting stuff coming with that in, in mind. Uh, I'm working on what's going to in effect be an apparel brand. It'll be an extension of the podcast, but, um, it's something that I've, I've thought about for a long time. I'm inspired by the guys at test depth and, 
uh, and Tommy over at 15 Fathoms and stuff like that about about just making pride gear that you actually want to wear in public. That's kind of the the catchphrase that I'm rolling with right now, but it's something I've been interested in a while and I'm playing around with it. It's probably going to take me a while to actually get it fully up around, but uh, something to look for. Uh, D Guts Apparel, it's coming. <laughs> uh, but if you want to support us right now, go to dgutspodcast.com slash shop. You can get t-shirts, stickers, buttons, all kinds of stuff. Uh, coins are on my life's to-do list. And uh, yeah, just you get something and it helps us pay the bills. It's not for profit uh, at this point. It's just to help support the cost of like the Squarespace space site and the SoundCloud Pro account and the, all the other, I'm sure there's other subscriptions, Zencaster subscription, all this, all the stuff that uh, help make the podcast happen. It, it helps me come out of pocket less and then uh, you get something to kind of show your support for the podcast. So it's a win-win. <laughs> so hook up some, hook up some gear. Uh, dgspodcast.com slash shop and that's it that's all I got for you today thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship <laughs>